You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Joy is the mark of heaven. Heaven is going to be a place of endless, spontaneous, combustible joy in the presence of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Peter said, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I like what John Phillips wrote. He said, joy is the rainbow, smiling, undaunted, and triumphant in the storm. Joy is the happiness of heaven imported by the Spirit of God into a receptive human heart. When's the last time you felt authentic joy? We all experience moments of happiness, but does it ever last? As wonderful as a honeymoon is, it always has to end at some point. Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to experience an everlasting spring of joy in your life, you need to accept God's free gift of grace. He has always had you on His heart and mind and wants nothing more than to usher you into His kingdom. Experience a newfound joy like never before through God's perfect love. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Fruit of the Spirit. The first three fruits of the Spirit are emotional. We experience emotions involved in them. Love. Oh, I love them. Joy. Ooh, I'm happy. Peace. Uh, right? When I got saved in juvenile home, nobody followed up on me. Uh, the guy that came was a Baptist preacher. He preached the gospel to us in juvenile home, and then he left. He didn't know when we were getting out or how to follow up on it, so nobody followed up on me. All I knew was that in juvenile home, um, something incredible had happened to me, and I felt such peace. I was 16 years old. So I started looking for it in, in all the wrong places when I got out. One of the places I looked, I got, I got into transcendental meditation. Really did. Started reading these mystics, and of course, the Beatles helped me along, and others. <laughs> All you need is love. And it sounded so good, but they didn't know what they were talking about. But anyway, so I, I, was, I read that you need to go out in nature and sit down, and get in the lotus position, and start doing this chant. I'm not going to tell you the chant because I don't want to give demonic information. But it was a chant. And you were supposed to eventually be caught up and become one with the universal rhythm of nature. So I went out there, sat on the ground, got in a lotus position, started doing the chant. All of a sudden, I'm aware of something. And I look down, and ants are all over me in my pants. And I jumped up, started screaming, tried to get them all off of me, went home with a bunch of ant bites on me and a splitting headache. And that was my experience with transcendental meditation. It's like God was saying, hey, dude, you got saved. Get out of there. <laughs> oh, my. The Lord has a sense of humor. I'm convinced because I'd met Jesus. What am I doing with that stuff? All right. So he, he gave me a real clear signal. I was going down the wrong road. Now notice the first three, love, joy, and peace, they're emotional. They're emotional in nature. Now the first fruit of the Spirit is love, agape. The typical word for love among the Greeks was philanthropia, from which we get our word philanthropy. You have philanthropists. 
And this is what the common Greeks used, philanthropia. It was a word that meant to give a man what was due him. Its original meaning with the Greeks was far lower than the New Testament word Philadelphia or phileo. Now, you recognize Philadelphia as Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Well, see, that was named after a Christian word, as many of our cities were. Since we've all forgotten God in America, it's hard to forget a God who's everywhere in the character of your nation. So Philadelphia is from a Greek word. It was Philadelphia. And it means the love of one believer for another. Genuine brotherly love, phileo, okay? Phileo is used to represent tender affection as between friends. But even higher than phileo is agape. And we all know the word agape. It's not present due to any excellency in its objects. In other words, agape loves whether you are attractive to it or appealing to it or not. Agape is a choice. I have decided to love you. It's the God kind of love. It is supreme love. Way higher than phileo, which was friendship love. Now, Christian love, whether exercised towards the brethren or towards men generally, is not supposed to be an impulse from the feelings. It doesn't always operate through natural inclinations, nor does it appear only with those with whom we have a natural affinity. Hey, I like you. We've got chemistry. We got things in common. So I, I love you. Agape says we may have nothing in common. You may look freaky to me. I may not know what to say to you, but I choose to love you when you walk in the door with the love of God. Which love do you think God loved us with? Which love do you think it is? And for God so loved the world. What was it? It was agapao or agape. God so loved the world, he chose to love us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were spitting in his face, he loved us anyway. And even now, when you and I sin, mess up, disappoint the Lord, he still says, I've chosen to love you. Aren't you glad? For that, that's unconditional love. Now, do you know that phileo is never used in Scripture when it comes to a command to us to love God? It never tells us to phileo God. It says for us to agape God. We are to love God. For instance, Peter writes, and I think this is a cool verse, whom having not seen, you love agape. Isn't it amazing? We all have lives. We do things. We pay bills. We make money. We raise kids. We're all involved in life. And we are in love with someone we've never seen. That's amazing. Having not seen him, yet you love him. It takes a lot of love for God to give up your life. But people have done it through the centuries. Having never seen him, touched him, personally conversed with him like this, yet we are slap happy in love with him. That's amazing. Isn't that a miracle? He says, though now you do not see him, 
Yet believing, you are rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Even though you don't see him, you're rejoicing because you know you're going to see him. One of the greatest examples of the two words at play, phileo and agape, is in the exchange between Peter and Jesus at the seashore following Peter's denial of Christ. Remember that? I don't know him, don't know him. And then blankety, 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 I don't know him. He denied the third time with cursing. John 21, verses 15 and 17. Let me just show you the way it breaks down. Remember, Jesus is now resurrected. He's called the disciples out of their boat to the shore. He's got a fish fry going on. So Jesus was not a vegan. Just thought I'd let you know that. Jesus ate meat. He ate fish. Now watch this. He calls Simon Peter, who denied him three times. He says, Simon, I got a question for you. And you know, Simon was, oh, here it comes. Because on the third denial, remember, Jesus walked by and looked at him. And, Jesus, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Well, now Jesus is confronting him. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me, agapao, agape? Do you love me more than these? And he points to the disciples. Because remember, he had bragged, though they all deny you, I won't. So he, he points to the other 11 and he says, Simon, you want to tell me again that you love me more than they do? Now look what Simon said. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He didn't say agape, supreme love. He said phileo, friendship love. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs, but he didn't stop there. He said to him a second time, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me? Used agape again. And Peter said to him the same thing. Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said, tend my sheep. Now Jesus is going to turn the screw and take it home and hit him a third time because he denied him three times. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you even phileo me? Do you see it? Peter, you've told me twice now, you don't love me supremely. You're not going to brag that way as you did before. But, but how about phileo? Is that real? I'm sure he was squirming in his sandals. Peter was grieved. Why do you think he was grieved? Because he said to him three times, do you phileo me? It's like if you had a good friend, Jesse, I've known a long time. Jesse, do you love me supremely? Well, pastor, you know, I like you as a friend. Jesse, do you love me supremely? You know, truthfully, I like you as a friend. And then I said, you sure you even like me as a friend? Hmm. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I at least phileo you, love you as a friend, love you dearly. I cherish you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now remember, Peter had boasted, though all men be offended because of you, I will never be offended. So Jesus let him know, you're not what you thought you were. And folks, let me tell you something about the Lord. And this is one of the tough things about maturing. When you're young in the Lord, you think you'll do anything for him. You think that you'll be true to the end. 
you think that you will not falter or fail. And then you find out you still have weaknesses. You still stumble. You still fall sometimes. And you have to admit, you know what? I'm not everything I thought that I was. I'm going to be honest about where I am. God loves honesty. Now, all Peter is saying is, I am not going to strut and tell you something that's not true. When Peter responds by using phileo, it is the expression of a humbled soul that has seen its weakness and need of strength, yet still with evidence of true attachment. He did love Jesus. He just didn't love him supremely, perfectly. He wasn't flawless like he thought he was. And you know what? Neither are we. We are not flawless like we might like to think. Take heed that any man thinks he stands because he could the next day fall. Clark's commentary puts it this way, quote, it's remarkable that in these three questions, our Lord uses the word agapao, which signifies to love affectionately, ardently, supremely, and perfectly. And Peter always replies using the word phileo, which signifies to love, to like, to regard, to feel friendship for another. It was as if our Lord said, Peter, do you love me ardently and supremely? To which Peter answers, Lord, I feel an affection for you. I do esteem you, but I dare not say any more. That's good. That's wise. Amen? Now back to Galatians. The word used for love is agape, which is supreme love. Through the Spirit is agape, the kind of love that chooses to love in spite of the merit or attractiveness of the thing that is loved. This is the love that grows in the heart of the child of God as spiritual fruit. So that you know what? You don't have to like everybody, but you do need to love everybody. Can I give you another revelation? You don't have to like them to love them. Amen, Pastor Jeff, that's profound. I'm gonna think about that all the Now, joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Joy is not just another word for happiness. Human happiness depends on what happens. Happiness depends on a happening. You get a raise, you get happy. You get a new car, you're happy for a while until somebody dings it. Um, different things on earth make us happy, but have you ever noticed that happiness doesn't last because everything in this earth is perishing. But joy is different. Joy smiles in the face of even the most adverse circumstances. Jesus perfectly reflected the power of joy. Over and over in his last talk with his disciples, with the shadow of the cross, black and heavy on his heart, Jesus still spoke of joy. He said, these things I've spoken to you. Why did he speak them? Read it with me. That my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. I think my favorite poster of Jesus that I've ever seen was not this hippie looking guy with a halo around his head, but it was Jesus in the middle, John on one arm and Peter on the other arm and Jesus' head was thrown back and he was laughing as hard as he could laugh. And it looked like they were having a great time. And I said, believe it or not, folks, that was Jesus. His joy was so infectious, so contagious, so obvious that he said, Lord, I am, 
I am, and, and disciples, I have spoken to you that the joy you've seen on me is on you. And again, he said, look at this, I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice. And now read the last part with me. Your joy, no man takes from you. Say no man. No man. He said, the joy that I'm giving you, don't you let any man, any devil, any circumstance, take it from you. Not only that, but Jesus specifically prayed to the father that his followers would experience joy. Look what he said. Now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now let me ask you a question. We read these things about joy, these promises about joy. Do you see this on a lot of churches? How many Christians do you know that are always full of joy? How many joyful people do you know? I'm just saying, I want you to think about this. Because guess what? Joy is the defining mark of heaven. Joy has its source in God, not an earthly happening. The psalmist sang, you will show me the path of life and in your presence is what, everyone? Fullness of joy. Where do we get joy? In his presence. How do we get the presence of God around us? Well, he inhabits the, work, the praise of his people. I believe he's there when you pray. He's there when you praise him. He's there when you're in the word. The key to having joy is getting into his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy. Statements like these contradict the gloomy view the unsaved world often has of heaven as some dull place where people hold endless, boring prayer meetings. Thank you, I'd rather go to hell because all my buddies are gonna be down there with me and we'll sit around the hell bar and talk about old times. Where did you get that? That is so profoundly stupid. You know nobody in hell. You see nobody in hell. You recognize it's dark, tormenting, and forever. Where is there going to be real joy? It's going to be in heaven. Joy is the mark of heaven. Heaven is going to be a place of endless, spontaneous, combustible joy in the presence of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Peter said, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I like what John Phillips wrote. He said, joy is the rainbow, smiling, undaunted, and triumphant in the storm. Joy is the happiness of heaven imported by the Spirit of God into a receptive human heart. We've got imported joy. Joy is the sunbeam lighting the prisoner's cell. Joy is knowing Jesus. If you want it in a nutshell, there it is. We say that together, joy is knowing Jesus. Now let's get to the third one, and we're going to close with this. The third emotional type, fruit of the Spirit, is peace. There is peace for the Christian in the storm. God's peace in us produces a calm, untroubled spirit, come what may. I am so thankful for peace. I am so thankful for God's peace. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Thank God for peace. As with all the fruit of the Spirit, amen. As with all the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus modeled God's peace perfectly. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, he was never in a hurry, never upset, never disturbed. Get this, from the age of 12, Jesus knew that he was to die on a cross for the sins of the world. Because when his parents found him talking to the doctors, they said, what are you doing? He said, don't you know I should be about my father's business? He already knew what the father's business was. He knew at 12, he would die on a cross for our sins. I don't know about you, but if I know that at 12 years old, I'm not having a happy teen life. I'm going to have some teen angst. Not Jesus. Although the shadow of the cross drew nearer every day, he never showed the slightest fear. It never upset his peace and it never disturbed his poise. Jesus lived above the storm. God's peace is part of our inheritance as a child of God. Do you believe that? Look what Jesus said. Read this with me. Peace I leave with you. How many of you have peace tonight? All right. Even in the midst of trouble, he said, peace I'm leaving with you and my peace I give to you. So what did we get from him? We got his joy and we got his peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What do you mean by that? I'm not going to give it to you and take it back. If I give it to you, I'm going to let you keep it. I give it to you for good. Peace is the legacy of he who is called the Prince of Peace. His is the peace that passes all understanding. Now, I'm going to look at Peter and we're going to close. Before the day of Pentecost, Peter fell apart at even the slightest suggestion from a young girl that he had been a disciple of Jesus. I don't know him, don't know him, don't know him. No, 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 no. But after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit fell on him, we see a different Simon Peter. He's arrested by Herod and sentenced to death. His dear friend James has already been beheaded. James went before him. The date has been set for his execution. Tomorrow, he's going to die. Sixteen soldiers took turns ensuring he would not escape. What is Peter doing? Is he biting his fingernails, calling for a lawyer, breaking out in a cold sweat of fear? Is he renouncing Christ again to try to get out of it? Nope. He is asleep. Without extra strength, Excedrin PM. He's asleep. Sound asleep. So asleep that an angel that's sent into the cell has to hit him with his sword. Get up! Peter thinks he's having a vision. He led him through the gates, let him out into the city, and he got set free. But I want you to notice, Peter went from panicking by just being recognized as a disciple to sleeping like a baby the night before his execution. What is that? That's God's peace that passes understanding. He hadn't called us to panic. He's called us to have peace. So there are the first, these are the first three fruits of the Spirit, love, and joy 
and peace. And they are the glorious result of abiding in the vine, Jesus Christ. And they are the side benefit, the great reward of walking with him. Just stay plugged in and abide in him daily. And these fruits will be produced in you. Do you have regrets in your life that keep you from God? Have you ever felt like there's no way that you could be forgiven for some of the transgressions that you've committed? In today's message, we learn from Pastor Jeff that God accepts anyone and everyone into His kingdom. There is nothing you could do to keep yourself out of His kingdom. Seek after Him and be transformed into a new creation by way of His perfect love. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the Word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Daniel has more on that, giving you something to look forward to. No matter how magnificent Jesus has been in your life, it's easy to be swayed by our culture. Whether it's pressure from social media, friends, or pop culture at large, no one is immune to the influences of the world. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that Jesus came to save you, and he wants to set you free from your bondage. Listen to his still, soft voice and be saved from all of the burdens that are holding you back. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.